So Aaron, did you have a uh, did you have anything in mind? You've been listening to a lot of our pitches. Yeah, my unpopular opinion is that they should do Robert's Rebellion. <laughs> no, that's, no, that's too unpopular. It's so unpopular. And George R. R. Martin said, I thought we, like, established we weren't gonna, we weren't going to... But that was before <laughs> when it was popular. Now it's completely unpopular. And to suggest something in the face of what George has already said is just That's right. blasphemous. Everything changed when George's blog post attacked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it ruined my Dunkin' Egg. <laughs> so why Robert's Rebellion? Well, let's start off and let's talk about the business aspect to begin with. <laughs> I know it sucks to talk about art in the context of this, but we have to talk about it. The number one thing that Robert's Rebellion has going for it is what's called in finance stable, predictable future cash flows. It is the lowest risk, high reward situation that you can have as far as a spinoff series is concerned because a lot of the events tie directly into the main series. So people are going to come back and want to see it. With the exception of like the Stark children, almost all of the characters come back for it. And it's also cheaper to do because you get to bring back all of these characters, but with newer, younger actors, much cheaper contracts. And it's also a lower risk series because it would only run for like three seasons or so so you don't have to commit a whole lot of money to it as well as you don't have wolves and dragons Mm. to worry about yeah true the thing with going with one of these other ideas is that a song of ice and fire game of thrones is like lightning in a bottle these types of series don't come along very often it's in a super high percentile it's like one out of every 500 series so if you're trying to commission like five different spin-offs, trying to get another equivalent epic series out of that well your chance of getting it is still extremely low because if it's like one out of every 500 and you're commissioning five series your chance of getting another series that's just as good is like one percent it's uh-huh. not very high at all and you need stuff to keep the audience coming back and game of thrones itself is not that big of a universe you know george came out with uh the world of ice and fire and george was pitching like how expansive this universe is and how oh there's so many different areas to explore and all these different stories but it's kind of wishful thinking to expect your audience to be like, ooh, the five forts, what are those? Ooh, I want to read about the oily black stone. But people yeah. don't like care about those things. Game of Thrones is a really small universe. It's like Winterfell, King's Landing, and Castle Black. It's the Starks, the Tyrells, the Lannisters, and the Targaryens. It's not Valyria. It's not going down to Old Town. These things have only been shown in the series for like a couple of scenes. They aren't the hook that gets people back in coming and seeing more. If you're going to do another one of these series, it's going to have to be almost just as good as Game of Thrones to bring that audience back because you're talking about entirely different scenarios that are so far removed from the events of the main series that it might as well not be in the Game of Thrones universe. It might just be in a separate universe entirely Mm -hmm. so now let's talk about like why robert's rebellion is a good series in and of itself when criticizing prequels a lot of people say is this a story that needs to be told as far as like is this just a cheap old cash grab well game of thrones robert's rebellion actually kind of needs to be told george has said that in the main book series a song of ice and fire we're going to be told uh most of the main plot points but that's gonna once again be like george's version of a history book it's gonna be like the princess and the queen again you're just gonna get the major plot points you're not gonna actually tell the story but the thing with robert's rebellion is all these events are actually so intertwined with the main series that robert's rebellion is like additional seasons to game of thrones it's like season negative three 
two in one. It's not like its own prequel series, because what actually kicks off the events of the main series? Well, it's the death of John Aaron. Well, who was John Aaron? What exactly was he like? What did he really mean to Ned? And Robert, these things are not really explored. John Aaron is basically a MacGuffin. He's a plot device that gets the series kicked off, but he's like an actual character that impacts other characters in the series, and we don't even understand anything about him. It's the same thing with like Oberon and Elia Martell. Elia is a character during the time of Robert's Rebellion, and she's just kind of like another MacGuffin that leads to another plot. These characters are all reduced down to plot devices. Not showing Robert's Rebellion is kind of like if you were to pick up Game of Thrones like right after Tywin dies and just have like the series begin with the death of a major household member who controlled and kept the kingdoms together. Or like with season two, like starting off with like Ned and just having it post after Ned dies and like the king and his advisor are dead. Yeah. But, like, there's a huge series in season one. Yeah. It's the same way with Robert's Rebellion. All of these are stories that can be told and have real characters in them. And you get to bring back characters that you know, and you get to really flesh in the ones who are reduced to simple plot devices in these other series because you don't get the rest of that story. And we might get that in A Song of Ice and Fire <laughs> in the books, but yeah. in the show, we're yeah. not going to get anything except, like, the main stuff revolving around what happened with Liana. And with developing these other series from the practical standpoint for George, it's going to kind of hamper George to be writing or be assisting five different prequel series and the writers in development, especially if they are dealing with them as almost like a competition right now. Because each one of these people is going to be fighting to get their story made, which means he who has more assistance from George is probably going to be able to create a Mm. better story overall. And it's also more advantageous to George if he doesn't focus on writing five individuals or helping write five individual stories, some of which are never going to likely be made, but instead took two of those writers. Like you take Cogman and you give him the, the head writer and then you bring like, Borgstein in or something who wrote LA Confidential and won an Oscar for it and you bring Carly Rae in (laughs) and all three of them can focus on getting this one story done and hammered out and George doesn't have to spend as much time and he can concentrate on the wins of winter and then in three years when the whole thing (laughs) is done and the series is produced in like 30 to 36 episodes or whatever it ends up being yeah right then you know then you can develop these other stories and George will have time to do that so and you've already proven to HBO because you've developed the most likely successful successor series that George can demand a higher price for these new spin-offs as well Oof. because it's proven that the series has an actual brand beyond just the main epic story. I think that's a fantastic point on the competition between the writers. Like just imagine Carly Rae at home wondering if George is going to call her maybe to say he's picked up her idea. <laughs> Oh, oh, we have to play that. You got it in. Oh. Now we have to play Call Me Maybe. <laughs> Can we get the rights? <laughs> done. The podcast is done. We it's over. Out. We everything finished we said it. about the five-year gap, everything we said about the five-year gap, just cut it. Just cut it. <laughs> it ends there. Right. After that. Well, going back to the point about it being a competition, I kind of sympathize with the people who are upset when George takes on these extra products because a lot of these are not going to be made. Yeah, like, it's true. It's kind of wasted work. Just like wild cards. 
<gasps> Whoa. Whoa! That's not wasted work. That is masterpieces. Think about it for one second, Michael. Uh-huh. What is this competition like doing? Bringing in extra writers to write all these separate stories within this creative world. No. It's just like no. wild cards. George is taking A Song of Ice and Fire and doing the wild cards treatment with it, where he's the curator and mm. editor of all these different stories. I, you know what? If he actually did that and created sort of a shared universe for it, I would not be that unhappy. And I, I don't just mean a shared TV universe, because I think that is one of his biggest gifts that he can give to the the science fiction and fantasy writers of the future is his name, is lending his name to publications that they end up in wow. and anthologies and TV shows that they end up writing for, things like that. You know what? If he wants to wild cards A Song of Ice and Fire in that sense, I, fine, fine. Just don't introduce Dr. Tachyon or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so Isabel, Mighty Isabel, another one of the mods, made a great post um, talking about why Robert's Rebellion is uh, superfluous. I agree with mm. Isabel. Her TLDR is that the story of the fall of the Rebellion... Warriors might be dramatic and cool to see on film, but it would be missing a lot of what makes A Song of Ice and Fire a compelling story. And she talks about Mm -hmm. what makes it a compelling story is that A Song of Ice and Fire is a story of the aftermath of the war of Robert's Rebellion, Mm -hmm. of that final feudal decay where feudalism has consumed its own beneficiaries, these are her words, male warriors so thoroughly that the next generation literally has to invent magic and return from the dead to renew the world. And my rebuttal also to Robert's Rebellion is if you want to read a story that has the same themes, the same narratives, the same heroics as Robert's Rebellion, go pick up the Iliad. No <laughs> Iliad. There. Whoa. No Iliad. What do you mean no Iliad? You're the Iliad. Whoa. <laughs> oh my god. Whoa. What an insult. My third point okay. is I would instead pitch... The War of the Nine Penny Kings, oh. solely because we have previously asserted a potential Tywin Pycelle show. Yes. Tywin. Tywin. Can you imagine? Tywin for the win. Can you imagine the reaction of Barristan's actor if they brought back Barristan for a Nine Penny King adaption, but it wasn't him? It'd be so <laughs> selfie. <laughs> that alone makes it. He would be worthy. pretty upset, I think. He was pretty upset with his own yeah, death. He, he really was. Yeah. I agree with Isabel's point about what A Song of Ice and Fire is and that it has to deal with picking up the pieces after feudalism decays, but I disagree with her conclusion. I think that's <laughs> actually a point that helps aid in why you should tell Robert's Rebellion, because if you're telling a story in A Song of Ice and Fire about picking up the pieces after feudalistic decay, then you should tell the story about like how it decayed to begin with to get the complete context for why everything exists as it is re- within a wholly contained story. My rebuttal to robert's bellion though is um we were talking about this before and you we were i was saying that like everyone's gonna know all the the plot points ahead of time and you were like that happened already but that was with book fans if you're trying to get the tv fans back they're already gonna be familiar with a lot of the hooks we're talking about don't remember them they will remember they're gonna go over them these last two seasons like in depth no, they aren't. They're going to have, like, Liana and Rhaegar for one or two scenes. They, there's, like, one blurb 
of Littlefinger where he says something like he cut Brandon cut me from from neck to stem or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like nobody remembers that stuff. So when they see like they see Littlefinger get up there to fight Brandon, they'll be like, "Oh, my boy, Littlefinger, my he's going to he's going to win this one. That's why there's no Brandon." And then he gets completely wrecked. That's well, a small one. I mean the big ones. And and you know there's there's going to be like a BuzzFeed article the next day that's like this great catch from this great callback to Game of Thrones yeah. with Littlefinger. Like, that you yeah, missed. Yeah, that you missed. That you don't yeah, remember. Exactly. That, oh my god, they foreshadowed this so long ago. Like and share this on Facebook. <laughs> I think with the audience that you're trying to get, that they're already going to know your hooks already. And I think that's a bad place to start from. I could be wrong, but that's my opinion. Well, like, even with Jamie killing the Mad King, theoretically in five years when they would arrive at that event, half the audience isn't even going to remember that that should happen. I mean, I, that might sound condescending, but I know from my experience when I watch some shows fairly casually and I only pick it up like when that series comes back, I don't remember these things that they get into when they tie things back earlier on. It's not just the hooks. In Isabel's thread, there was this user Maximus8910 <laughs> and he comments that, also worth pointing out, Robert's Rebellion is a Song of Ice and Fire. All the important True. parts of it are revealed during A Song of Ice and Fire in order to shed light on characters. Its echoes reverberate throughout the story that we're now following. So the broad themes, including the themes of repeating wars, mm. slash generational change, slash paying for the sins of one's parents, are all too intertwined to make Robert's Rebellion a properly compelling But that's my the, point. The issue with that, though, is, is because A Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones, to an extent, is the story, not just of the War of the Five Kings, but the Rebellion as well. We're all contextualizing the rebellion inside of ice and fire but yeah. the rebellion doesn't have a book series the rebellion has no prequel novel to have a chance to have its own themes like if we're just taking it at a narrative sense it doesn't ne necessarily have to be tied to the thematics of ice and fire like aaron the other day was having that good idea of looking at the woman's perspective through the characters in the rebellion that feel powerless and stuff like that like you can spin an entirely different approach and angle and themes from just the narrative of its rebellion when you take it away i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing in that you're untethering it from Ice and Fire means it can have its own themes, mm. maybe. Like, like what was Jalabar XO up to uh, during the Rebellion, you know? How was crazy his... was the Mad King, really? Well, like, what if what if Rayella was the main character? Uh... Yeah. What if you had this whole story? I, I, I agree with you, Sam. I, I think, like, that, you know, as presented to us with the main characters of Robert and Lyanna and all that, that's that's one story that kind of exists in intertwined with Song of Ice and Fire, but you can tell a, a very different story about Elia and Rayella and, and um, I don't know, P take your pick, Ashara Dane. This is why I like Nine Penny Kings better, is because you get all this stuff with characters you know, but a lot of people aren't as familiar with it. So that the when, when you have the big points of the series that you're going for, at least most of the audience isn't aware of it, and you get all the same things Aaron and Sam are arguing for. It's the same themes, it's the same plot leading it to the other one, and all the names you want to know, but without the widespread acknowledgement of where it's going. Plus Pywin. Plus Pywin. Plus yeah. Pywin. But you're mm -hmm. not... Pywin. But you're not really... You're dealing with the united Westeros rather than the divided Westeros that most people know from the main series like the good thing about robert's rebellion from uh maintaining a successor story is that it keeps almost all of the same what you what you know about game of thrones is still true without going 
too far off of the rails with it. And when you start introducing black fires and talking about them, and now you're putting all these houses together on the same side, it's like, well, what I liked about the other series was that there are all these houses and they're fighting each other, and now it's just like these black fire people, and I don't know who they are. And There would still be internal conflicts. But that's still the main problem that George and you guys have sided with doing Robert's Rebellion. Well, the audience already knows that the black fires aren't going to end up winning, so... It's like you're banking on the nostalgia of having these characters back, but it's like Robert's Rebellion Light. You only get, like, a handful of them. You get Tywin and the Blackfish and Barristan, and you get Ares. You get the Mad King, but he's not yet mad, and he's not going to turn mad during the context of the series. So the half of your audience that is more dedicated and remembers Ares but also hasn't read the books is just going to be like, what? It would be really funny if they did if they did a whole nine penny kings series without ever once like having a battle or even mentioning the the enemy. Like they were all just sort of set up for war, but like it, it was it was a tiny war, and there was one battle <laughs> at the very end that was really lame, and you know it, it's just this overwhelming force. Um, I came here to see a war, and I didn't get a war nor a penny. Well, we know there was strife in the Nine Penny Kings within Westeros because the North and the Iron Islands didn't take part. And there are obviously going to be some places in Westeros that are um, favoring the Blackfires as they're trying to invade. You could still get the same kind of conflicts and backroom politics that you want. I feel like how Aaron was saying it is almost like characterizing the Rebellion as like a soft reboot of ice and fire because it has a similar like world mm, that's interesting yeah, I, i'd never thought of that because it's a prequel that's a really interesting way of framing it yeah a lot of the flak prequel series get are because of like the star wars ones and how they were fairly lackluster but if you go into like modern reboots or prequels as far as they go a lot of them are getting like better or as good like you look at better call saul yeah i already know the outcome mm. of most of those main characters and I still think that it's the best show right now on TV. It still engages me, even though I know most of the outcomes. And I'm really excited to learn what happens to these new characters that they've introduced and how they eventually unfold during the events of the TV series once it reaches that point. Right. And then you look at like modern Star Wars prequels, Rogue One, highest grossing movie in the last 365 days, and it was pretty darn good. It had a few problems, but it was still really great. I, sus I mean, a substantial part of The Godfather 2 is a prequel, and that's a very acclaimed film. Like, just being before... That's a good point. Yeah. Mm. That's a great point. I don't mind knowing, like, what the end point is. It's just that, as you said, it's an entire reboot of A Song of Ice and Fire. We're exploring the exact same things, exact same character development, exact same conflicts internally and externally that we have before. Like, I mean... Things like Chronicle of a Death Foretold or like The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde, literally, we know how it ends from the first page, from the title of the mm. story. But like, I don't mind that. It's just that Robert's Rebellion, if we explore it as Aaron was saying from those unexpected people, such as like, if we understand truly how Elia felt about it, how Rayella felt about it, then... Yeah, I think that would be an interesting story, potentially worth telling, but that's not why people want Robert's Rebellion. People want Robert's Rebellion because they want the Michael Bay action scenes. Oh, yeah. Of... Battle of the Bells. You know, if they want Michael Bay action, they'll go for, like, Dance of the Dragons. But that's not what I asserted in my pitch. 
That, that, yeah, right. That that wasn't the She's got unpopular you there. opinion, Thunderdome. But I'm not proposing that for Robert's Rebellion either. Robert's Rebellion is the worst place to do a Michael Bay action story because you don't have the magic and you don't have the horrible flying beasties going around shooting fire at each other. Which is exactly why I'm saying if... Which is why I'm saying if we are going for Robert's Rebellion for the reason that you said of following the stories of Elia, Rayella, even young Catelyn and how we got to where she is now, you know, these people who have been left behind, who we aren't following in the midst of battle, because we've already followed what it's like to be in the midst of battle. We've seen what the aftermath of that is and what George R. R. Martin's take on that is from Septon Maribald and his Broken Man speech. We don't need to rehash that argument. But they aren't in Game of Thrones. They aren't. They aren't in Game of Thrones. All you got was Septon Ray, like, building a hut and being like, I don't know if there are any gods, but here's my hut. <laughs> but George R. R. Martin's, George R. R. Martin isn't thinking of it from the Game of Thrones perspective necessarily. He's thinking of it in that he says that the Robert's Rebellion story will be told entirely through A Song of Ice and Fire, not necessarily through Game of Thrones, because he's thinking of where the story is going to exist. And it's going to all be there because we already know that not all of it is present in Game of Thrones. Yeah, and like a couple of haphazard brand flashbacks, but you're not going to get the full story. And a lot of the details are going to be like the Princess and the Queen history book version. And that's still just the book version. That's not the version for Game of Thrones. Like when you're thinking about the successor series, you have to think about it in the context of being a successor series to Game of Thrones, not what you're putting in your books. Maybe it's time to get rid of George R.R. Martin from the creative process of (laughs) spinoffs. Whoa. Bruh. Whoa. I mean... Dude, you know, are you pitching yourself? I am pitching myself. I am. I am the usurper uh, bookshelf. <laughs> Michael's rebellion. Michael's rebellion. Yeah. Uh, I just want to see Stannis in the Vale having the proud wing story because uh, he goes hawking with with Ned and Robert, and his bird won't fly, and he's like, "I need to try a different bird." And he looks into the, he looks directly Beautiful. into the camera and says, "A red bird," <laughs> no. and then winks. And- <laughs> <laughs> yes oh my god he, he tries a red bird he gives up proud wing and he gets a red bird and that's like foreshadowing and you put like the yeah. nelisandre musical cue underneath red bird when he says it. oh yeah and then and then there's a shot of him having sex with the red bird on a table <laughs> <laughs> that a shadow bird comes out can we put this on itunes i, I didn't i didn't no. say any there's gonna be a lot of cutting on any, this any we're at an hour and 40 minutes this yeah. is supposed to be like 30 40 that's what the red bird was saying. <laughs> all I'm saying is all of this is great, but we could see the hammer of waters happen, and that would be awesome. You're saying something about Michael Bay? What? I guess Robert's Rebellion just means something a bit different to me. It's like, Matt, what you said in the five-year gap section about, like, if George went with doing the five-year gap in the books, he would have skipped over doing the Riverland story with Jamie, and you said that you would feel cheated if you just got that part of the story in a flashback. I don't know if I really feel cheated that we're not getting Robert's Rebellion, but I feel disappointed because I feel like we're just getting the flashback portions of that, and we're not getting it actually told as a full story. A Song of Ice and Fire and the stuff that occurs directly around it is like what engages me. It's not stuff in the world of Ice and Fire, and no matter like what the successor series is, it's always going to be kind of disappointing to me that there's an opportunity to go back and show a cinematic version of a huge segment of A Song of Ice and Fire at the very beginning, and we're just not going to cover it because of like reasons. 
So just kind of a shame. <laughs>